0: Welcome to another episode of Devotional, an audio resource for daily living. My name is Ariel and I will be your host and this is episode 5. So we have been going through quite a journey right now, four episodes in just the first path. There's a lot here. There's a lot that could be said as to what it means to, or what it will take to be happy. Now, today, I am not at my house. I am at church. And I think this is going to be, I don't know about quieter, but uh, uh, maybe I'll miss my kids. Maybe I'll miss my little girl in the background. And at the last time, it was really nice being outdoors. So I'm planning to do more of those kind of episodes whenever I get a chance to go out with my little girl or both of them to uh, do episodes outdoors. I thought that was very nice and it helped me actually to work out (laughs) and uh, do these podcasts, Multitasking. Anyways, uh, we've already gone through the first path, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. We know that blessed means happy and we know what Jesus meant when he said the poor in spirit. People that recognize they are in need of something, a component that we cannot satisfy through careers, money, pleasure, etc. It's a spiritual um, need that we have and only through Christ can that need be met we haven't gotten yet to all the reasons as to why but we're just uh, Jesus is just starting to put the foundation down we also spent a little bit of time uh, talking about something that we will develop even further in the last couple of episodes we talked about that wonderful promise one of my favorites um, in the Bible uh, Jeremiah 31 3 uh, um, the Lord has appeared of all to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with cords of kindness, or loving kindness, some other translations say, I have drawn you. And we talked about how in that beautiful passage, very tender, very compassionate, we see uh, a good definition of what in other parts of the Bible we read the, the, the word called repentance. And repentance it just simply means to turn around. And that is how God causes us to turn around and so it's through his loving kindness when he draws us with courts of kindness that means that we were going in a different direction and now god is bringing us back toward him and so i just want to give a brief summary to kind of refresh our thoughts before we jump in into the second um, beatitude which is a bit as unpredictable as the first one i don't think people were expecting jesus to say people that are spiritually poor are happy uh, but if they thought about it the way we are going through it and thinking about it now it makes complete sense and now the, ne- the next one says in matthew chapter 5 verse 4 blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted again jesus says these uh, words and they seem to contradict each other uh, happy are those who mourn again we're left with our heads uh, scratching our heads because mourning is not simply weeping or crying. Mourning is a, has a specific use in a specific context in our experience. We mourn when a loved one has died, when someone that we we is family, a friend. Uh, mourning is specifically reserved. is of course is synonymous to sadness, uh, but it's specifically reserved for when someone has died. Who has died? Why have they died? Why are we mourning? And whatever that means, there's a promise that as we experience this mourning, we shall be comforted. So we we need to spend a little bit of time here. Um, We want to talk about that first part. Why why did Jesus use a word of sadness that is mostly exclusively used during a funeral? Um, I want to look at another part of scripture that I think will help shed some light. It's in the book of Romans, chapter 6, and if you begin reading in verse 1, you begin to see this uh, revelation as to who has died. I'm going to start reading from verse 1, and this time I'm reading for a tra- from a translation called the New American Standard. It's a bit more literal, so some, sometimes it seems a little bit dry, but it's, it's still a really good translation to do word studies. So this is what it says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we, listen carefully, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So this insinuation of dying, it's here in a spiritual sense. And again in verse eight it says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. This death experience is drawing of course on the, the experience, what we have in the literal world of when someone dies. When someone dies, that person is no longer around that person is no longer there and in in the sequence of how jesus presents this beatitudes when i begin to see my spiritual poverty that it's not simply you know i don't pray enough or I'm, i don't really go to church that often that's not what he's talking about spiritual poverty the spiritual poverty jesus is speaking to is is something core something that from it is yes, flows out every part of who we are. Our temperament, our personality, our values, our choices are all affected by this spiritual poverty and we defined it um, most simply by saying spiritual poverty means we are at at, at our worst, at, at our core, I'm sorry, selfish and proud. That is the principles that govern many, many of our decisions. Um, I recently saw a conversation, a presentation of a Jewish rabbi in which he talks about why we eat fish. And he said, Well, you know, I, I love fish. And the, the rabbi said, No, you don't love fish. You love the taste of fish. So, because you love the taste of fish, to satisfy what you like, you go and take a fish out of water, kill it, boil it, broil it, whatever, and, and put it in a skillet, and then you eat it. And then When we take that kind of, he calls it fish love, and apply it to relationships, we say we love this, a man may say, I love this woman, but what he's really saying is, there are attributes to this person that I feel will satisfy my needs. Now, I'll put emphasis there so that we can begin to recognize. The person might say, "I, I married someone that I love, but maybe the reality is that this person has married someone that, in his estimation, in his evaluation, this person will satisfy my needs, my wants. And that's not love. And many people don't recognize it. And of course, they suffer the, the consequences. They, they get into a marriage that it, it doesn't take long before it what only can survive through true love doesn't. And the persons begin to become estranged, uh, temperaments and intolerance, unforgiveness, etc. All the other side effects that come from decisions based on selfishness and pride. So this is very powerful because it affects every part of us. And so that's what you begin to recognize. It's not simply that your church attendance is not what it should be. Is that everything we do, getting married, dating, having kids, raising children, job careers, job choices, friendships, if you allow God to open your eyes to the motives and reasons behind the reasons what we do, why we do them, we'll begin to see not just little sprinkles of selfishness, but we will begin to see that we use our parents, we use our children, we use our spouse so that we get what we want. Once that realization begins to take place, of course it makes us sad, it makes us sad and then it makes us um, to have a choice, to make a choice. Do I want to keep living? Do, do I want to keep keep living this life? And if I don't, I have an option. It, Paul calls it dying with Christ. Allowing these traits of mine, these principles of mine, allowing that the, the core of who I am, me, to experience a death. And through that death a transformation taking place from the inside out that is what many christians called conversion in conversion means you've changed you change one thing for another and that is what jesus is delineating here he's looking at conversion and he's breaking it down in slow motion he's slowing down the film So that we get to see each stage and like i said it's not like you go from one not to the other one not to the other one there's a blend and there's a flow that all of this experience is is just like that it's one movement and just because jesus is is separating them by the blessed are the blessed are the blessed are the it doesn't mean that these are separate and independent experiences but rather one continuous flow I see my spiritual poverty. I see myself for who I really am. Maybe for the first time. And what I see, I don't like. I wish I could change. I wish I could try different things. And I have tried. Maybe you have tried, like me, for years to try to be different. Try to be nicer. Try to be kinder. But even in our attempt to try to be nicer, behind those attempts is selfishness. We want to be liked. We want to be admired. We want to be accepted. It's making sure that our needs are being met. So, now that we recognize these things, we begin to realize, I don't want to live this life anymore. How to change, how to transform ourselves. We'll talk about that when we come back, right after this. I wanna share with you a verse that um, helped me a lot in this process of trying to relate to failure, making choices that bring regret. And what do you do? What happens then? It's in a old testament book, it's kind of hard to find. It's called is in a section called the Minor Prophets. And not minor because they were second rate, but simply their books, their their books were smaller. So in that sense, they're minor, but they're very potent and have some powerful little promises in here. Um, that can encourage us. And I want to share one from Micah chapter 7. And it says this, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. And it finishes saying, these verses in verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity? And passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever. Because God delights in unchanging love. In loving kindness. Verse 19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread down our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. It's a precious promise to help you realize it's not over, especially if you're listening to this. You can be certain that there's hope for you, that no matter the failures that we experience or the regrets that we may be carrying around, this is a promise that though I have fallen, I will arise not by my own strength, but by the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the loving kindness of God, uh, the unchanging love. Like we read from Jeremiah 31.3, So today, as you continue with your life, stop rehearsing the past, stop rehearsing the mistakes. Today, you may rise and tell the enemy, don't rejoice over me. God is on my side. So we're talking about dying in a good sense. Many of us, you know, don't want to die and it's not that the Bible wants us to think in wrong or unhealthy mental uh, trains of thoughts, but this dying really could be tr- uh, uh, expressed in today's language as in, I want a deep, permanent, real choice. It doesn't mean that you become perfect, but certainly the direction of your life changes. The, the overall pattern of decisions begins to take a different direction. Whereas before I was completely oblivious to how much of my life was controlled by selfishness and pride, whenever I begin to recognize these things, I begin to realize, no, that's, that's not who I want to be. That's not what I want to have as my identity, as my personality. And I die, as we write in Romans. I die, but now there's a new life the life of Jesus Christ that begins to become more and more real and permanent and affecting more and more of the areas of my life, my thinking, my feelings, my choices. Everything begins to be guided by a different principle, not a principle that I develop by different kinds of thinking exercises or mental or meditation exercises. There's nothing in me. My spiritual poverty can only be met by the presence of Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And it can be educated and matured through the scriptures, through the Bible. Now I'm gonna uh, uh, present to you a, a correlation of uh, what it means that to those that mourn, to those that have ex- seen and experienced and desired that I no longer want this, there's, there's mourning, there's a funeral, and the funeral is my funeral. I am mourning because I have died, but I'm gonna be comforted, because it's not just about, uh, the, the, I, I most people, including myself. When I began to toy with the idea of becoming a Christian, some of the first things, first thoughts that would come to my mind were, so what will I have to stop doing? What will I have to give up? And those kind of thoughts keep many people from ever taking the plunge forward. And so, but that's not the kind of mourning that this is speaking about. You're feeling sad, man, I won't be able to do this anymore. Oh, I guess, you know, I, I'll, I'll give up these things and I'll accept Jesus. That's not the kind of mourning this is speaking about. This is a different mourning, a mourning that is caused by God. And I want to read to you because this mourning and being comforted go hand in hand. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. By who? In John chapter 16. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the unexpected. Well, what they they are not expecting, that he's going to be crucified and that later on he's going to ascend back to heaven. And in John chapter 16, uh, starting verse 5, it says, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit a specific uh, qualifier here, an adjective, a comforter. What will the Holy Spirit say to us, uh, give to us? Uh, How will he comfort us? In the very next verse, he says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, the Holy Spirit will convict. The world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those are the three things that the Holy Spirit takes priority in working in our lives. And we understand why now from the Beatitudes. If the first realization, that first step is blessed are the poor in spirit, a good question is how do those people come to the realization? How do they have this epiphany that they're spiritually poor? Well, the comforter, the very first thing he convicts us of is sin. And sin is a short three-letter word that could be expanded to mean spiritual poverty, or as we've been describing it, the selfishness and the pride that governs what we do. The, it's the Holy Spirit. When you begin to feel this, I guess, for lack of a better word, guilt, and that word is so loaded, most people you know, want to get rid of guilt and guilt is, is bad, It's not bad if you're stealing money from your mom guilt is good if you're cheating on your spouse guilt is good that means that your your conscience your ability to discern between what is good and what is evil it's it's still working and you want to stay that way you don't ever want to reach a point where you you take money from your parents or you're taking stealing money from whomever and it doesn't bother you actually You feel like you have every reason to do so. That is very, very dangerous ground to find ourselves in. But when I begin to realize, and when the truth is driven home, how deep-seated this pride and selfishness is in my life, it is not through any of my self-awareness or capacity to be introspective, to inspect myself inside. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the first thing that the Holy Spirit will do it is convicting me of sin but it it doesn't the holy spirit doesn't stop there and we see that progress Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit the holy spirit has brought you to recognize how much of selfishness and pride governs your decisions you shall be comforted you shall be comforted because when we yield to the conviction of yes that was a selfish thing to do or yes that was my pride that led me to hurt this person or wound that person through words or attitudes, um, then I'm led to the second conviction. There was three of them, remember? When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, we talked already about judgment, but we were talking about the kingdom of God. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember that? Matthew six thirty three. I believe that was episode two where we began to talk about that. Um, This righteousness, it's basically just doing the right thing. It's the opposite of sin. It's the opposite of selfishness. It's the opposite of pride. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you of this is the real you, you you may feel justified of having responded in your anger to your child or your spouse or your boss or whoever, but this is really what that looks like. Now there's an alternative. As I begin to feel that, man, I I hate that. I hate that. And kind of like that experience in in Micah that we read, we see, man, I I feel like I've fallen. I've fallen maybe again into doing what I I hate to do. I I don't want to talk to my kids this way. I don't want to yell at them or whatever. And here I am doing it again. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't just leave you there if if you begin to recognize that you also be you have to recognize that you're also being led in a different re- direction whereas before we went in the direction of sin of selfishness and pride now the spirit begins to convict us of righteousness this is a different way in which you can respond right now and the conviction of the of righteousness doesn't come after we've messed up these things begin to happen on a case by case situation by situation Uh, opportunity when I have a choice to steal or have a choice to not take what does not belong to me those realizations are your personal evidence that the Spirit of God is moving and working upon your heart and you will begin to experience the wrestling the wrestling between yielding to the Holy Spirit or resisting the Holy Spirit we will talk later about this, what the ramifications and implications of doing either one of those. But for right now, what we want for sure is to yield. When the Spirit of God says, this is the path that will lead to death. This is the path that will lead to pain and hurt and regret. And I don't have to convince you too much. If you just look at your past experiences, you know that what I'm telling you is true. Do you want to again go down this path? What about this option? What about the option of living a life of Christ? A life in which Christ puts in you a different principle of action, humility, and love. What would that look like in your life? This is some of the things that we will continue to develop as we continue with this series. But for now, we're just going to summarize this. The Holy Spirit is working upon the whole world, it says. Since the whole world is spiritually poor, but doesn't know it, we don't recognize it, the Holy Spirit is bringing this conviction, seeking to to drive home this reality. It's not that the Holy Spirit is trying to make us feel bad. All the Holy Spirit is trying to do is show us what's there already. Kind of like the blood test of my cholesterol. Taking a blood test did not give me high cholesterol. It revealed it. In the same way the holy spirit reveals to you the deep-seated selfishness and pride that's already there and as the holy spirit leads us to this self-revelation it leads us to the choice you can continue in this path or experience what paul calls a death and it's a death because who wants to die we fight right when our lives is in danger we will fight tooth and nail but in this situation it's a willing choice I don't want to continue living like this, I want to experience this dying to the selfish me, to the proud me, I see what it does, I see the pain that it brings to myself, but more so, I begin to see how much it has hurt others, and specifically, those closest to me. So I hope that you continue listening to this series. In the next one, we will develop further what does it mean to experience this death? How do I experience this death? How do I know it's real? And progressing into the following paths of happiness, the way Jesus defines happiness to be.